Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm John Hare, and you've found the place where we talk horses. On today's show, we're talking to Brett Wright, a cattle rancher in Cushing, Oklahoma. Good morning, Brett. How are you doing? Doing well, John. How are you? I'm doing great. It's pretty warm here in California. I understand you're having a bit of a cold spell there in Oklahoma. Yeah, we are. It's uh we had north wind yesterday and i think it got up to 58 or something like that we're like 20 uh, 20 degrees below our normal wow brett you you've got a cow calf operation in oklahoma and i understand that about three or four years ago you started using uh horses and kind of put the four wheelers in the garage can you tell us a little bit about that we always had horses or at least just about all my married life i've had horses and we just kind of looked at them as recreation you know you kind of get in a mindset that the horses are for fun and when we get down to business well we're down to business and you know we're we're thinking all business and it was kind of a disconnect in my mind to be able to use horses with the cattle and and have it work in a way that would be well, profitable, you know, the bottom line is we want to be profitable in our business. Mm-hmm. And what we, what we did was I, I did some team pinning and, and kind of learned some things about how to handle cattle on a horse. And that was more of a, of a timed event side of it, but it, it, it opened my eyes to being able to use those horses more around the cattle. So we started Instead of just using them for a gather, we started using them for moves because we we move cattle almost daily, most of the year. We use a temporary electric fence and we give the cattle a new break of grass. And that way they're on fresh grass all the time. They're not going back over something they've already grazed until it has a chance to regrow. Uh-huh. And the horses, by putting the, the side-by-side is what we use, Polaris and Kubota, those you know, besides those things getting so expensive to buy and maintain, the horses had a calming effect on the cattle. So I try to tag babies the day they're born or, or the next day so that I know which mama they're out of when it comes weaning time. And I can kind of make some, you know, management decisions about how that cow performed and this, that, and the other. When you ride up there on a motorized vehicle and you know, that calf gets kind of antsy and the cow gets antsy and there you know, things start to get fast really quick. Right. And when you, when you ride up on a horse, you know, those footfalls sound just like the rest of the herd and that calf will just lay there. I hardly ever have to rope one. I can just, uh, step off, get my taggers, drop the horse's reins. He stands there. The mama usually doesn't get upset and tag the baby and, Sometimes the baby won't even get up. It'll just it'll just lay there and, you know, it might shake its head a little bit because I just gave it an earring. But so that was one thing that kind of opened my eyes to, man, this is, if I'm got less stress on my cattle, then they're gaining better. They're easier to handle. They're more docile. And when it comes time to run all of them through and sword or vaccinate or whatever we might need to do, it's just way easier on everyone and everything. And the horses really played into that, which surprised me a lot. And then you don't have the the noise of that 
the motorized vehicle and the way it moves. And that sounds good. Exactly. You're up higher, so you can see more, you can see farther, and you can hear. You know, that's the big thing. When you've got a motor running there, you, you have no idea what else is going on besides what you can see. Right. And when you're when you're on a horse, you can hear. And that horse senses things, too. You know, if, if there's a deer running in the brush over there, you know, he may flare his nostrils a little bit and widen his eyes and look that direction. And, you know, it's it's not that big of a deal. I like seeing wildlife. So, you know, I start looking. What's he looking at? Right. You know, and then I can hear something over there. And, and so it just makes it a lot more pleasurable experience and you know you're getting your work done at the same time but my wife says it's hard to tell whether i'm working or playing and i love that <laughs> that's the way life's supposed to be too that's always one thing that's supposed to be hard to tell if you're working or playing exactly i i know you you probably know your cattle very well but when you made this transition to use horses how much of a learning curve was that for you to do well it was big because like i said in, in the team pinning side when i when i really got introduced to using horses and cattle that was against the clock you know that was a timed event even though it was just kind of we just did it for practice so i didn't really do that professionally by any means but right. it was a lot of fun it was a friday night it was a local deal and kind of a jackpot thing and but the man that that ran it called me up there one Saturday because he said he could see I was kind of struggling because I was trying to use my horse like I would do it on foot. Mm -hmm. And so he took a day and spent with me and showed me how to get in a cow's flight zone and move her really quick and all those things that you want to do that works, you know, in your favor against the clock. And uh, I was just really surprised how much the cattle handled on the things he told me to do and when i started trying to transition that to my herd of course i didn't want to be in a hurry but still the flight zone of the cow and where i needed to be to move her was the same i just did it a lot slower behind the shoulder in front of the shoulder you know catching one eye and all of those things played into moving the cows and you can you can put pressure on cattle by by actually just focusing on them you know if you if you put two eyes on a cow and you really focus on her in the herd she, you'll see her head come up she'll start to you know look like kate hey, what what you know is there a predator out there you know whatever it is why are you looking at me for <laughs> yeah you're right and you have to be careful you know how you because you can really put when you're trying to sort through a gate and you're reading an ear tag or something you know do i want that one do i not want that one well, you really focus they, you know you'll see their head come up they stop and they're like Oh, I'm not going through that gate. You know, that that guy looks mean. It's, it's just the fact that you're, you know, that you're putting pressure on them. Yeah, I, I told you last week, I just got back from a Martin Black clinic. And, uh, you know, Martin's done that for years and done it in a roe deer, done it out in the open. And gosh, I learned so much about handling cattle that way because there weren't any fences or an arena you know, so if I went in there and I was too, too much presence or I was too much in their flight zone, they were just gone. You know, I mean, right. I mean, they're running out across the country. So you have to be a lot more, have a lot more finesse with you and your horse because one step or a half step makes a lot of difference on whether the cow stays or whether she goes. So, yeah, the learning, the, the learning curve was huge to answer and, your question. 
And how long was the uh, Martin Black Clinic? How many days did you spend? I think it was in Texas, you we, told me, right? Right, yeah, down by Houston. It was, uh, It. I believe we were horseback for five days because we were gone seven days and we drove. Yeah, that's right. We were, we were on horses for five days. How did that work out? I'm always interested in how clinics are run. I don't, I had never been to anything of his before and I was really impressed. He, uh, I don't know if it's just that him and I got along really well because we're kind of, we both run cattle and, and are both interested in horses, but he had a way of explaining things that really clicked with me. I mean, he could, and he individualized things. What he would do is of a morning, first thing you would sit and kind of have a round table discussion. So everyone sat in a building, in a chair. It rained a lot down there. And so we would pick up whenever it was going to rain and we'd sit in there and discuss, you know, what are you wanting to gain today? What's your questions from yesterday? What's your goals for the end? And he would tailor his individual instruction to you according to, you know, what you wanted to learn. And for me, he did a lot of stuff with one man operation because a lot of the stuff that I do is one man. So he would say, okay, when you're doing this, you know, we've got 18 or 20 riders. How many people were were there, you know, holding a road deer? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, well, I can't do that because I don't have 18 or 20 friends with horses that know how to do that. (laughs) And he was going, okay, when you do this, you know, get them in a corner and start with your yearlings and work them that way. And that way you've got a fence on two sides holding and you're just having to hold that outside edge and train them to do this. And I was like, oh gosh, that's perfect. I learned so much down there and I was able to unplug for a week and not worry about all the grass and the rain and the lack of and whatever else going on here and really tune in to what was going on down there and learn that I, I had a blast. It was a, it was an excellent clinic. It's fascinating that you're just a one man operation. So when you go out with your horse, it's just, just the two of you then. Typically, yeah. I have a day worker that only works two days a week, and he he has a horse. He loves to ride, and so when we're going to do a big move, like up the county road, or if we've got to take him a long ways, I'll usually ask him to bring his horse, which he loves to do, and so we'll have two horses. That way, we can kind of lead and follow and string them out. At this time of year, we're having babies, so we try to pair everything up before, you know, get the babies up, make sure they're with mama. Right. Because they'll, they sleep half the day. So, you know, if you, if you take mama away, that'd still be asleep laying wherever she left them. And then you got to take her back to find them. So, yeah. so. Because you're a cow calf operation, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, because I know so little about this kind of stuff. But are your cows are probably used to having you around, moving them around, going from one pasture to another. And then when you were in, Martin's clinic, you mentioned the roe deer. Are those cows coming off a much bigger range and are they a little bit wilder type of cattle? Yeah, they were yearlings, I'd say. I'm just guessing, but I'd say they were yearlings. And I met the guy that owned them. The The ranch that we were at didn't actually own them. He, he loaned them to us to work. From what I understood, they hadn't really had horses around them before. So that's always a new learning curve for cattle. The guy that owned the cattle I was able to talk with him for a couple of hours one night. He he actually is just getting started started into rotational grazing, regenerative agriculture. And so he had moved those cattle. So they were used to a person on foot. They weren't used to a horse. 
So, yeah, we had a little bit of a learning curve for those calves. I think there were 23 head that we that we worked with. So the first time we tried to get them in a roe deer, and of course we didn't know what we were doing either, you know, so <laughs> that's part of it. But first time we tried to get them in a roe deer, we lost them three times. So, so, you know, they split on us three different times. We had to get, we had to group them back up. And so we finally got them, you know, to where they figured out, Oh, we're just standing here and we're not being molested. So, Hey, this is all right. We'll just stand here. Yeah. So there is a bit of a learning curve for everyone involved. Did you take more than one horse? I just took one. I've I've got one horse, one cow horse that I used a lot and one young one that I probably could have taken because Martin did some colt starting down there. She hasn't been started yet. You know, I wasn't sure it was my first trip and I thought, well, I don't want to, you know, you, you hate to assume, oh, I can bring a whole string of horses, you know, because I had to, they kept them down there. They let me keep them in there for free and they had a place for them and Right. I probably could have talked with the host because she was an excellent host. You know, was, I'm just one of those guys that's kind of like, oh, well, I, I signed up for a horse, so that's what I'm bringing. Yeah. And sometimes if you have more than one horse, it diverts your focus a little bit. So you've gone down there to learn one thing, and pretty soon, where's that baby? That baby's just at the trailer pond or, or winning, and then your mind is in two places, and you end up not really learning what you went down there to learn. That's exactly right. I you you sound like I do. I I I am concerned about my animals. You know, you you, you don't that doesn't sound that, that doesn't sound like a rancher, but you know, it's like you have all these live animals that depend on you because we have to move them, and if they don't get moved, they don't have grass to eat. You know, and that leads to problems, cattle and horses. So, you know, you think about that a lot. You know, where are they going to go and do I have my grass budgeted? Do I have my grazing charts filled out correctly? And am I thinking about this right? And it, and it takes a while to learn that. I'm getting to where now I can kind of look at a at a pasture or a place that I'm getting ready to go to next and figure out how many days and hit it pretty close. Sometimes, sometimes I'm way off, but <laughs> you know, it, it's always a just. If my mind was worried about the filly yelling over there at the trader because her buddy was gone all day and he was looking back at her yeah that that wouldn't have been as, as good of an experience for me i'm sure yeah and tell us a little bit about your horse he is a he's a quarter horse cow horse bred actually bought him from a close neighbor down here uh he's kind of a blue gray eight-year-old he's cow bred but he doesn't he didn't have a lot of just instinct about how to handle cattle mm-hmm. i had before him i had a a horse that I kept until he was just too old to do anything with. And he was a Doc Bar Leo bred quarter horse. And man, that, that guy, I, I didn't realize what a, what a great horse he was. You know, I took him for granted, I guess, because you could let, you could leave him in the pasture for a month, you know, in nasty weather, not riding, we go get on him. He was the same every time he got on. If you wanted to turn a cow, he knew exactly what to do. He, I, I told Martin at that clinic, I said, he filled in for me so much, I actually thought I was a good rider. <laughs> <laughs> now, I understand you that you rode the Lewis and Clark Trail in Idaho. Which horse did you do that on, and how was that? That was that cow horse that I was just telling you about. I used him for everything, and we packed. We took a pack horse and packed up there. I've been to several different pack trips in wilderness areas on that horse. And, you know, just had him exposed to everything. And he just did really well with all of it. But 
Yeah, but Lewis and Clark was a lot of fun. We went on the 200th anniversary, which I was trying to remember. I think that was maybe 04 at one of the camp grounds that we went to. It's kind of a trailhead where we camped there. We met up with a guy that was running his cattle on the government land management lease that he had. Right. There were several thousand acres. I don't know how big that place was, but when he came out, he had located them and he was riding back out and he said, hey, you guys want to go on a cattle drive tomorrow? You know, we were like, heck yeah, we want to go. You know what? So, so that horse actually got to do some uh, trailing cattle over several miles back to his home place that day. We were on, we were horseback about 12 or 13 hours that day. I was wow. pretty, I was pretty winded, but that was a great time. And I don't understand why that's so much fun, but gosh, darn it. It is super fun when you just, trailing cattle just moving them i don't know if it's a sense of power or just being out there in the wilderness i think that's probably more of it just being out there and your horse and moving the cows and your buddies you know 100 100 yards away on the other side there's just something magical about that in there yeah i think you know and i was raised on western movies you know and seeing that just just like Gosh, I'm or, or or Lonesome Dove and reading those books from Larry McMurtry. I'm out here doing what I was watching on TV. That that's something I'll never forget. I mean, that was quite an experience. Matter of fact, Martin, I may go to his ranch in September and spend a couple of weeks up there actually working some cows with him when they do their fall works, just because he does that and you get to ride his horses and so you know, you're not worried about what your horse doesn't know. You can just kind of go learn by being thrown in the fire, I guess. <laughs> right. That's pretty cool. It's nice that you're able to get away from your operation for periods of time like that, too. It, it is. And and that wasn't always the case. And it is hard to do. But, you know, I think it's important to be in Texas for a week and just unplugging. Gosh, that I, I told my daughter, I said, I felt so good while I was down there. I didn't worry about anything. I was learning and that's always a good place for me to be mentally, you know, to be picking up new things to, to learn and try, especially with a lot of people working from home. My wife was always on the road and she's been at home since last March, you know, not going anywhere. So like the social interaction for her or lack of it is, is pretty hard. Right. Just getting away and, you know, knowing that, you you did everything you needed to do to get those cattle have them have them on a place where they could be content for a week and uh you know don't worry about them and go and have a good time and you're so refreshed when you come back same way with those with those rides that we went on shift your perspective a little bit and how did the pandemic affect your cow calf operation probably the worst thing was uh our grass-fed beef we were doing just kind of getting started in that where we were finishing cattle on grass mm-hmm. you know getting getting customers we would we would sell live animals is the way we did it so our our processor was not usda inspected and all of a sudden when the pandemic hit everyone wanted to have a cow or a pig or you know sheep something processed so they got so backed up and everyone else around here did too that Instead of having to be like have a date like four months out, which is the normal, they are over two years out now. So if I want to oh, process, wow. yeah, if I want to process a calf, I've got to wait two years to get it 
to get it in there. So that that almost killed our grass-fed beef deal. Is that through Oklahoma and Texas and all the areas around you? I mean, there's just not enough of these processors Pretty, out there. Right. That's what it is. You know, they, we, we got so centralized and, you know, the big packers kind of conglomerated and, you know, I don't want to get into that because people have bad right. feelings about that. But, you know, it just, it just kind of put a lot of the little mom and pop shops out of business. And there, there's not very many of them left. So, therefore, when you want to get a calf process, you know, you pretty much have to go to them. Just everybody went to them at the same time, and they were just overwhelmed. Yeah. Hmm. Well, this has been good. I love talking to guys like you. They're, you're right out there on the front line living this stuff every day. And you reached out to me with an email and said, hey, I've, you know, I just want to talk about my life a little bit. And I think that that's pretty cool. I noticed that uh, you have a blog, it's called ispeakcow.com, and you share some of the trials and tribulations of of your operation. And I found a lot of those uh, videos that you do about uh, pasture grass and your pond and things like that to be uh, interesting, stuff I don't even think about in, in the course of my daily life, but I, they, were, they were good stories. Well, thank you. I- you know, we we try to we try to put our our story out there a little bit because there's a lot of negativity involving uh, farmers and ranchers right now, and you know there are a lot of people that are trying to do the best they can for not only their animals but the land and the environment. And so I just wanted to do my part in showing that we're we're one of those groups that are trying to do everything we can it would be better for the environment, which actually is better for the cattle as well. Mm-hmm. That's an important thing to me to, to, to get that, to get that story out there. We appreciate what you're doing and for uh, helping put food on our tables every night. Well, thank you. That's uh, that means a lot because you know, that it, 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 it is a somewhat of an unrewarding <laughs> if you don't reach out, you know, talking with you, and and I've talked with other people like like you on on different podcasts and you know email and Facebook and all those different places where you can connect and it, it puts you out there a little bit you know it, it may be out of my comfort zone a bit but but uh, to have someone say hey thanks or you know hey I saw what you were doing there that's really neat tell me more about that that makes all the difference in the world to a farmer or rancher to know that some that's are actually uh, looking at what they do and saying, hey, this guy's trying to do it right. Yeah. So that when you're up at four in the morning and you're out toiling among your cattle all by yourself, sometimes you you think you're all by yourself, but there's a lot of us out here that are really thankful for the work you guys do. Yeah. Well, like I say, I appreciate that a lot. Hey, just to turn the coin a little bit, I really appreciate you. I've been listening to your podcast for probably over a year. And uh, really enjoyed some of the interviews for sure. I mean, I've, that's, that's that's a learning point for me. I call it Tractor Seat University. Anytime I have to be in the tractor doing something, I've got a podcast on, you know, playing in my ears. So that's that's my learning time. So if anybody wants to find out more, do you have any links or any of that that you'd like to share? I, the ispeakcow.com is a good uh, contact. Also, my YouTube is I Speak Cow on YouTube. I do a Hope Feel Friday podcast there or a, a video there every week since the pandemic started, just kind of trying to offer some hope. 
to people that may not, uh, you know, have it or just want to listen. It's kind of a kind of something that I, I was drawn to do, and and it's it's been a lot of fun. So that's a that's a good place to have a little more current stuff, and that's kind of day to day to day or at least weekly operations on what's going on on the farm, and then I'll tie a hopeful message into it. Oh, sounds great. That's wonderful. Well, thanks for joining us on the show today, Brett. We appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, John. I really appreciate you. Brett Wright introduced himself by email saying he started using horses on his cow-calf ranch about three years ago in Oklahoma, and it's been very beneficial to him and the cattle. I asked him to tell me a few things about his ranching life and horses. From those emails, I saw he was passionate about horses. And I could tell continuing education is important to Brett. I like that. Even more important, he wants to share that knowledge with others. I looked at Brett's website, ispeakcow.com, and there's a lot of information about how he runs his operation and about his ranching life. Part of my enjoyment in producing the podcast is getting to talk to people like Brett. Thanks. To see the show notes with links and photos, go to wopodcast.com. If you'd like to share a story or experience about your horse or suggest a guest, I'd love to hear it. Send an email to john at wopodcast.com or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under the name Podcast. I'd love to hear from you. Stay safe and healthy. Thanks again for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and riding buddies. Until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody.